Is it better to be in a place where you don't want to be, but God is with you, or to be comfortable, but without God? In Genesis 39, we learn how God can prosper a man even though he has no personal freedom or material possessions. For the Lord is our defense, yes, you defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, you defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, you defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, you defend us. The last verse of Genesis 37 told us that the Midianites sold Joseph to an Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. Potiphar, as a man who kept the prisoners of the king, was a man of means and authority in Egypt. What Potiphar paid for Joseph, we're not told. But we soon learn that it was a worthwhile investment. The opening six verses detail for us God's blessing upon Joseph's life and probably over the course of several years, we see how he rose in rank and authority within Potiphar's home. Verse 3 records that Potiphar saw that God is the reason why Joseph is who he is. And so it would appear that Joseph is very public about his faith. He's not hiding the fact that he worships a different God to the Egyptians. And so men are able, as they observe Joseph, to see the reason why he is who he is, his, his character, his activity, and its connection to the God he serves. In addition, in verse 6, we note that the same thing is said of Joseph as was said of his mother Rachel. The translation's slightly different, but it's showing us that he also was beautiful and well-favored. In verse 7 through 19, we learn that Joseph's handsome appearance draws the attention of his master's wife. And just like her mother Eve, Potiphar's wife casts her eye upon something that is forbidden. In contrast to the record given in Genesis 3, Joseph responds as Adam ought to have done. You remember how Adam had access to everything in the garden except for the fruit of one tree. And in a similar fashion, you see here Joseph explain how all that is in the hand of his master is in Joseph's hand as well, with the exception of one thing, his master's wife. Wisely, Joseph resists her advances and makes it plain that he has a keen sense that this would be sin against God. However, Potiphar's wife continues to make her advances toward Joseph. And one day, when no one else is in the house, she lays hold on him. Joseph wisely escapes for his life. He runs, leaving the garment in her hand. No doubt feeling snubbed and bitter, Potiphar's wife then conjures up a false narrative, laying a charge of wickedness against Joseph. And so in verse 20 through 23, we see how Potiphar, upon hearing of the news, throws Joseph in prison. Now, many have remarked that if Potiphar really believed this charge, he would have had Joseph executed on the spot. Instead, he throws him in prison, probably somewhat aware of the nature and character of his own wife. And so some have read the anger of Potiphar in verse 19 to reflect the difficult scenario he found himself in. Is he going to bring an accusation against his wife, which would inevitably reflect poorly upon him and bring personal embarrassment? Or does he deal with Joseph as the charge should, should require? Instead, he finds a middle ground where he sends Joseph to prison 
as a form of mercy toward him, perhaps knowing that he's not guilty at all. And so if this reading is correct, Joseph is thrown in prison unjustly in order to save embarrassment and humiliation to his master Potiphar. And so what's surprising is that in these final few verses, we read instead of a resentful and angry Joseph, a young man who shows tremendous character as he embraces the providence of God and his experience and continues to show prosperity and the blessing of God wherever he is. And so we come to application 1. Authority is not to be unlawfully grasped, but granted through divine providence. Usually we find forms of authority brought about just through the providence of God. You become an authority figure when you marry or when you enter into parenthood. But other forms of authority are not to be taken as a right. Verses 5 and 6 show how authority is given. There is gift, effectiveness, and faithfulness that is manifested and recognized by others. Take, for example, the authority and the right to preach. It's one thing to desire to preach. I well remember that desire in my own heart. But it's quite another to ask for opportunities, as if in some way you have a right to push yourself in there. The better approach, rather, is to be around in the church serving faithfully and wait for others to recognize gifting or certain traits that they believe might be manifesting that kind of gifting. Certainly you may pray for an opportunity, but never force yourself into positions of greater judgment and responsibility. 2. God's providence may prevent us from an immediate clearing of our name against false accusations. Joseph has to live with the repercussions of a fraudulent testimony against him. We must learn that even the most faithful children of God must learn to rest in God's love for them even if the world assumes the worst. God uses these experiences to strengthen our faith so that it may leap over obstacles and trust God despite what our eyes see and our heart feels. 3. All sin is first and foremost against God. When Joseph is faced with the temptation coming from Potiphar's wife, it is not a fear of Potiphar that keeps him from sin, but a fear of God. Sin is a breach of God's law, not man's law, and it is first a treason against God before it is wickedness towards men. The sin of this passage is, of course, under the seventh commandment, it has always been common, it was so in Joseph's day, it is so in our day, it is so prevalent, but it must be resisted. Let me say to you who are young, flee youthful lusts, be careful what you see online, be careful what you allow yourself to be exposed to, don't be drawn in, it will wreck your life, damage your mind and heart, and can ruin your soul. 4. No matter how bad things appear, they can always get worse. Being a slave in a foreign land in the prime of your life must have been a grueling experience for Joseph to come to terms with, and yet he made the best of it. However, if Joseph thought he was at rock bottom, he was going to discover that rock bottom has a basement. Ancient prisons were vile places. There were no comforts there, no no good food, no entertainment, no medical care, 
no right to a speedy trial, and so on and so forth. It was an awful place to be. And Joseph had no prospect of ever getting out except through some extraordinary providence. I think many of us, especially in the West, imagine that life will constantly put before us an upward trajectory of opportunities and prosperity. But <laughs> we need to wake up. We must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. 5. Christ is the mediator of the elect, taking the form of a servant for his people. We see this typified in Joseph. As he enters into an experience of humiliation, becomes a servant, and as he is falsely accused and condemned, all these things show us some indication of what the Messiah would suffer for us, his people. And finally, true prosperity is the covenantal presence of God. Three times in this chapter, it tells us that the Lord was with Joseph. Why the repetition? Because reading the circumstances, we might question whether God was truly with him. And so the passage tells us over and over and over again that God was with his child. Dear Christian, God cannot lie. And you must learn to believe that, no matter what your circumstances are suggesting to you. You're not at the end of your story. Stop telling yourself that you're in the last chapter and it will never get any better. There's a day where it will most certainly get better. But even in this life, remember that you don't know exactly what the Lord is doing. While you don't know now what Christ is doing, you will know hereafter. Hereafter.